Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad Baruch Shem Kehud Malkuto Le'olam Va'ed Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be the name of the glory of His kingdom forever and ever. Amen. Good morning, Mishpacha. Welcome to the Daily Audio Torah. I'm Laura Densmore, your host, and I'm so glad you're joining in with me today. Today is Sunday, May 21st. Today is day 43 of the Omer count. We are quickly counting down to the Feast of Weeks, or Shavuot. This week, Shavuot, also known as Pentecost, falls on Sunday, May 28th. What is the meaning and significance of Shavuot, or Pentecost? Shavuot is considered the conclusion of the celebration of Passover, especially since the two festivals are connected by the counting of the Omer, like a chain connecting them together. Passover isn't really over until we get to Shavuot. Shavuot is a 50-day count, as it is written in Deuteronomy 23, 15, and 16. And you shall count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf, for the wave offering, it shall be seven full weeks. Until the other day after the seventh Sabbath, you shall count fifty days. The Israelites traveled forty-six days from their Passover exodus in Egypt to the desert of Sinai, and then they were instructed in Exodus 19, verses 10 and 11. And Yahweh said to Moses, Go to the people, and sanctify them today and tomorrow, that they may wash their robes and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, Yahovah will come down before all the people to Mount Sinai. We include these three days together with the 46 days coming to 49 days. On the 50th day was the first Shavuot feast, also called Matan Torah, the giving of the Torah, which is the covenant agreement. Yahweh handed over the covenant conditions, or also the constitution of his kingdom, to his people on Shavuot. But he also established his kingdom with them, as it is written in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for a possession, that you should proclaim the benefits of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Shavuot means not only that Yahovah wanted to dwell with his people, but even in them. As it is written in Exodus 25, verse 8, And they shall make me a sanctuary, that I may dwell in their midst. Think about it. It was on Shavuot that God gave the Ten Commandments on two stone tablets to the children of Israel. Sadly, They could not receive them or keep them because their hearts were made of stone. They broke the covenant with the golden calf incident. 
But then God makes a new covenant with the children of Israel, as it is written in Jeremiah 31, 31-33. Behold, the days come, says the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they broke, although I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my law, my Torah, in their inward parts and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. How did the Lord fulfill this prophecy and promise? After Yeshua resurrected, he poured out his Holy Spirit to the early believers as they waited upon him in the upper room. When did the promised outpouring of the Holy Spirit come? Not just on any random day, but on Shavuot, or Pentecost. As we get ready for Shavuot, let's ask the Holy Spirit to move the scriptures from the pages of our Bible and put them inside of us, writing his words upon our hearts. And let's ask him for a fresh new outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Now let's continue our journey through the entire Bible in one year. This week we are reading from the Israel Bible for the Hebrew Scriptures and from the King James for the Brit Hadashah. Today we begin a new Torah portion, Shavuot, and it means Feast of Weeks. Exodus 19, 1-12 On the third new moon, after the Israelites had gone forth from the land of Egypt, on that very day they entered the wilderness of Sinai. Having journeyed from Rephidim, they entered the wilderness of Sinai and encamped in the wilderness. Israel encamped there in front of the mountain. And Moses went up to Hashem. Hashem called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus shall you say to the house of Jacob and declare to the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to me. Now then, if you will obey me faithfully and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples. Indeed, all the earth is mine, but you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the children of Israel. Moses came and summoned the elders of the people and put before them all that Hashem had commanded him. All the people answered as one, saying, All that Hashem has spoken we will do. And Moses brought back the people's words to Hashem. And Hashem said to Moses, I will come to you in a thick cloud in order that the people may hear when I speak with you, and so trust you ever after. Then Moses reported the people's words to Hashem. And Hashem said to Moses, Go to the people and warn them to stay pure today and tomorrow. Let them wash their clothes. Let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day Hashem will come down in the sight of all the people on Mount Sinai. 
You shall set bounds for the people round about, saying, Beware of going up the mountain, or touching the border of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. First Samuel 29, 1-31-13 The Philistines mustered all their forces at Aphek while Israel was encamping at the spring in Israel. The Philistine lords came marching, each with his units of hundreds and of thousands, and David and his men came marching last with Achish. The Philistine officers asked, Who are those Hebrews? Why, that's David, the servant of King Saul of Israel, Achish answered the Philistine officers. He has been with me for a year or more, and I have found no fault in him from the day he defected until now. But the Philistine officers were angry with him. And the Philistine officers said to him, Send the man back. Let him go back to the place you assigned him. He shall not march down with us to the battle, or else he may become our adversary in battle. For with what could that fellow appease his master, if not with the heads of these men? Remember, he is the David of whom they sang as they danced. Saul has slain his thousands, David his tens of thousands. Achish summoned David and said to him, As Hashem lives, you are an honest man, and I would like to have you serve in my forces, for I have found no fault with you from the day you joined me until now. But you are not acceptable to the other lords, so go back in peace and do nothing to displease the Philistine lords. David, however, said to Achish, But what have I done? What fault have you found in your servant from the day I appeared before you to this day, that I should not go and fight against the enemies of my lord the king? Achish replied to David, I know, you are as acceptable to me as an angel of Hashem, but the Philistine officers have decided that you must not march out with us to the battle. So rise early in the morning, you and your Lord's servants who came with you, rise early in the morning and leave as soon as it is light. Accordingly, David and his men rose early in the morning to leave, to return to the land of the Philistines while the Philistines marched up to Israel. By the time David and his men arrived in Ziglag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid into the Negev and against Ziglag. They had stormed Ziglag and burned it down. They had taken the women in it captive, lowborn and highborn alike. They did not kill any, but carried them off and went their way. When David and his men came to the town and found it burned down, and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive, David and his troops with him broke into tears until they had no strength left for weeping. David's two wives had been taken captive, Ahinoam of Israel and Abigail, wife of Nabal from Carmel. David was in great danger, for the troops threatened to stone him, for all the troops were embittered on account of their sons and daughters. But David sought strength in Hashem, his God. David said to the Gohen of Yartar, son of Ahimelech, Bring the ephod up to me. 
When Avyartar brought up the ephod to David, David inquired of Hashem, Shall I pursue those raiders? Will I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for you shall overtake, and you shall rescue. So David and the six hundred men with him set out, and they came to the Wadi Besor, where a halt was made by those who were to be left behind. David continued the pursuit with four hundred men. Two hundred men had halted, too faint to cross the Wadi Besor. They came upon an Egyptian in the open country and brought him to David. They gave him food to eat and water to drink. He he was also given a piece of pressed fig cake and two cakes of raisins. He ate and regained his strength, for he had eaten no food and drunk no water for three days and three nights. Then David asked him, To whom do you belong and where are you from? I am an Egyptian boy, he answered, the slave of an Amalekite. My master abandoned me when I fell ill three days ago. We raided the Negev of the Cherethites and the Negev of Yehuda and the Negev of Kalev. We also burned down Ziglag. And David said to him, Can you lead me down to that band? He replied, Swear to me by Hashem that you will not kill me or deliver me into my master's hands and I will lead you down to that band. So he led him down, and there they were, scattered all over the ground, eating and drinking and making merry because of all the vast spoil they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Yehuda. David attacked them from before dawn until the evening of the next day. None of them escaped, except four hundred young men who mounted camels and got away. David rescued everything the Amalekites had taken. David also rescued his two wives. Nothing of theirs was missing, young or old, sons or daughters, spoil or anything else that had been carried off. David recovered everything. David took all the flocks and herds which the troops drove ahead of the other livestock, and they declared, This is David's spoil. When David reached the two hundred men who were too faint to follow, David and all who had been left at the Wadi Besor, they came out to welcome David and the troops with him. David came forward with the troops and greeted them. But all the mean and churlish fellows among the men who had accompanied David spoke up. Since they did not accompany us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we seized, except that each may take his wife and children and go. David, however, spoke up. You must not do that, my brothers, in view of what Hashem has granted us, guarding us and delivering us into our hands, the band that attacked us. How could anyone agree with you in this matter? The share of those who remain with the baggage shall be the same as the share of those who go down to battle. They shall share alike. So from that day on, It was made a fixed rule for Israel, continuing to the present day. When David reached Ziglag, he sent some of the spoil to the elders of Yehuda and to his friends, saying, This is a present for you, from our spoil of the enemies of Hashem. He sent the spoil to the elders in Bethel, Ramoth-Negeb, and Jatur, in Aror, Sifmoth, and Eshtimoah.
in Rakal, in the towns of the Jeremielites, and in the towns of the Kenites, in Horma, Bor-Ashan, and Athach, and to those in Hebron, all the places where David and his men had roamed. The Philistines attacked Israel, and the men of Israel fled before the Philistines, and many fell on Mount Gilboa. The Philistines pursued Saul and his sons, and the Philistines struck down Jonathan, Abinadab, and Malkishua, the sons of Saul. The battle raged around Saul, and some of the archers hit him, and he was severely wounded by the archers. Saul said to his arms-bearer, Draw your sword and run me through, so that the uncircumcised may not run me through and make sport of me. But his arm-bearer in his great awe refused, whereupon Saul grasped the sword and fell upon it. When his arms-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he too fell on his own sword and died with him. Thus Saul and his three sons and his arms-bearer as well as all his men died together on that day. And when the men of Israel on the other side of the valley and on the other side of the Jordan saw that the men of Israel had fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, they abandoned the towns and fled. The Philistines then came and occupied them. The next day the Philistines came to strip the slain, and they found Saul and his three sons lying on Mount Gilboa. They cut off his head and stripped him of his armor, and they sent them throughout the land of the Philistines to spread the news in the temples of their idols and among the people. They placed his armor in the temple of Ashtoreth, and they impaled his body on the wall of Bethshan. When the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead heard about it, what the Philistines had done to Saul, All their stalwart men set out and marched all night. They removed the bodies of Saul and his sons from the wall of Bethshan and came to Jabesh and burned them there. Then they took the bones and buried them under the tamarisk tree in Jabesh, and they fasted for seven days. John 11.55-12.19 Yeshua therefore walked no more openly among the Jews, but went thence to a country near to the wilderness, into a city called Ephraim, and there continued with his disciples. And the Jews' Passover was near at hand, and many went out of the country up to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. Then sought they for Yeshua, and spoke among themselves as they stood in the temple. What do you think, that he will not come to this feast? Now both the chief priests and the Pharisees had given a commandment, that if any man knew where he was, he should show it, that they might take him. Then Yeshua, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served, But Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Yeshua, 
and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then said one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, Why was not this ointment sold for three hundred pence and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief, and he had the bag and bore what was put therein. And then said Yeshua, Let her alone. Against the day of my burying has she kept this. For the poor always you will have with you, but me you have not always. Many people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there, and they came not for Yeshua's sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death, because that by reason of him many of the Jews went away and believed on Yeshua. On the next day, many people that had come to the feast, when they heard that Yeshua was coming to Jerusalem, they took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna! Blessed is the King of Israel that comes in the name of the Lord. And Yeshua, when he had found a young donkey, sat thereon, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king comes, sitting on a donkey. These things understood not his disciples at the first. But when Yeshua was glorified, then they remembered these things that had been written of him, and that they had done these things to him. The people, therefore, that was with him when he called Lazarus out of his grave and raised him from the dead, bore record. For this cause the people also met him, for that they had heard that he had done this miracle. The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, Perceive you how he prevails nothing? Behold, the world is gone after him. Psalm 118, 1-18 O give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, because his mercy endures forever. Let Israel now say that his mercy endures forever. Let the house of Aaron now say that his mercy endures forever. Let them now that fear the Lord say that his mercy endures forever. I called upon the Lord in distress. The Lord answered me and set me in a large place. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord takes my part with them that help me. Therefore shall I see my desire upon them that hate me. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. All nations compassed about me, but in the name of the Lord will I destroy them. They compassed me about, yes, they compassed me about, but in the name of the Lord I will destroy them. They compassed me about like bees, they are quenched as the fire of thorns, for in the name of the Lord I will destroy them. You have thrust sore at me that I might fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength 
and my song, and is become my salvation. The voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tabernacle of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die but live, declares the works of the Lord. The Lord has chastened me sore, but he has not given me over unto death. Proverbs 15, 24-26 The way of life is above to the wise, that he may depart from hell beneath. The Lord will destroy the house of the proud, but he will establish the border of the widow. The thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord, but the words of the pure are pleasant words. I want to speak to you from our reading from John today, from the book of John, chapter 11 and into chapter 12. And Yeshua has just raised Lazarus from the dead. And of course, this miracle, the news of this miracle is spreading throughout the entire region. And first we see in chapter 12, verse 3, a scene where this took place in the house of Mary and Martha, the two sisters, and Lazarus is their brother. Remember, Mary is the one who sat at the feet of Yeshua and listened while Martha was busy with many tasks. But here in chapter 12, verse 3, it says, Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and she anointed the feet of Yeshua and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Now, what motivated her to do this? I believe she was exceptionally, eternally, extraordinarily grateful for the resurrection of her brother Lazarus from the dead. And so she was expressing incredible gratitude and love towards Yeshua, her master. But also she has some inside knowledge going on. Because when the accusers come along, um, Judas, the one who betrays Yeshua, who kept the purse for the ministry team, he made the accusation, why wasn't this ointment sold and given to the poor? And he didn't care about the poor. He, he's a thief. He just wanted the money for his own pocket. And then in verse 7, Yeshua says, leave her alone. Against the day of my burying has she done this. She's basically anointing his body for burial. So she has some inside knowledge knowing that this is going to happen. She knows that this last miracle of Lazarus is, is like the, the linchpin. It's the last straw on the camel's back that now the Pharisees are so enraged with him that they must eradicate him. They must stomp him out. And in fact, this is uh, hinted at in cha uh, chapter 12, verses 10 and 11. But the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death, because by reason of him, many of the Jews went away and believed on Yeshua. So we have two groups of Jews here. 
We have a group of Jews that believe on Yeshua. They see his miracles. They see him healing the people and setting them free and delivering them from demons and doing all of these miracles. And then we have another group of Jews, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, that want to kill him. So there's two groups of Jews back then. And and so now they want to eradicate him and put him to death. And so even as Yeshua is starting to head towards Jerusalem, he knows that in going to Jerusalem, that that, that is where he's going to die. And so in verse 17, the people, therefore, that was with him when he was he called Lazarus out of his grave and raised him from the dead, the people who were there and who saw this, they bore record of it. And so now in verse 19, we see that the Pharisees are plotting and scheming. The religious leaders are plotting and scheming on how they can eradicate and wipe out and get rid of Yeshua. The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, Do you see and perceive how he prevails? Nothing stops him. Behold, the world is gone after him. So it's this last miracle, the raising of Lazarus from the dead. And then Yeshua proclaims, I am the resurrection and the life. That we come, when we are born again, We come out of the deadness of our sins, out of the deadness of our dead religious works, and we come alive to God through Christ Jesus. Before we come to know Yeshua, before we're born again, we are the walking dead. And when we come to know him intimately and in our heart and we have a relationship with him, we are alive in Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Now I want to connect this to Pentecost, Shavuot, and to resurrection. So Romans 11, that whole chapter is talking about wild branches and natural branches. And the wild branches are the non-Jews, the goyim the ten from the nations. If you're not Jewish, then you are a wild branch. And the natural branches are the Jews, the Jewish people. And so let's jump into Romans chapter 11, verse starting in verse 13. And Paul is anticipating that there's going to be an arrogance that will rise up because there's a partial blindness that has been on the eyes of the Jewish people for centuries, and they do not recognize who their Messiah is. They do not recognize that Yeshua is the Messiah that was prophesied about in the scriptures, in the Tanakh. Let's read chapter 11, verse 13. For I speak to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles. I magnify my office. If by any means I may provoke to emulation them which are my flesh. Now, Paul is Jewish. Them which are my flesh. In other words, the Jews. And might save some of them. 
Verse 15, for if the casting away of them, the Jews, be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? So it was in God's plan to have there be a a blindness upon the Jewish eyes and hearts because the gospel then was brought to the Gentiles. Paul was the first, and many, many others have followed behind him to bring the gospel to all the four corners of the earth. And so the wild branch gets grafted in, and the natural branch needs to be regrafted into its own olive tree. Verse 16, for if the first fruit be holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root be holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches be broken off, and you being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them, and with them partake of the root and the fatness of the olive tree, boast not against the branches. But if you boast, you bear not the root, but the root bears you. Now, let me just um, expound upon this notion, this idea, this principle that going back to verse 15, if the casting away of them, the Jews, be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? Back in the 1967, there was a six-day war. And at the end of the six days, Jerusalem was reunited. And the Jews once again were able to go into the old city and approach the Western Wall. And basically the Western Wall has become an outdoor synagogue ever since then. And so it was a tremendous victory. And when this happened, this was such an instrumental, huge, key, significant event that in right when that happened right after that happened the holy spirit was poured out afresh all throughout the nations and that's when the jesus movement began there's a new movie out it's called the jesus revolution it's very good uh it's the true story of chuck smith who's the founder of the calvary chapel church denomination, and about how he basically opened the door of his home and the doors of his heart to the hippies, who were desperately looking for something that nothing could fill, the void in their heart. Drugs couldn't fulfill it. Free sex couldn't fulfill it. They they were hungry, and they were searching, and they found Jesus. And thousands and thousands of these hippies were then baptized on the California coast in the ocean. And when did that all happen? This tremendous move of God, this outpouring of the Holy Spirit, where so many got saved. It happened right after the Six-Day War. So every time Israel in some way gains ground with their land, the Holy Spirit moves upon the rest of the world. So as we approach Pentecost, which is seven days away. Next Sunday is Pentecost, Shavuot. We want to pray. We're in the midst of a 21-day special 
prayer initiative to pray for Israel. So these are the last seven days of that prayer initiative. And then on May 28th, one week from today, is Pentecost, Shavuot. We want to pray that the Spirit of God will take the veil away from the eyes and the heart of the Jewish people and that they will see who Yeshua is, that he is their Messiah, and that they, the natural branches, would get regrafted into the olive tree. And the olive tree is the entire nation of Israel, composed of wild branches, the nations, and natural branches, the Jews in particular. And the root is what supports us. We don't support the root. The root supports us. What is the root? The root are is the patriarchs. It is Yeshua himself. It is the Tanakh. It is the God of Israel. He is our root. Yeshua is the root of Jesse. He is the king of the lineage of David. And so, let us pray that this veil will be lifted, that many Jews will come to know Yeshua as Messiah. And when God pours out his spirit upon the natural branches, it's going to be an incredible outpouring, not only upon them, but upon all the nations, everyone, everywhere. It'll be life from the dead. It'll be the resurrection of the bones of Ezekiel 37 that have been scattered. Those bones will come to life. They'll come together, joint upon joint. They'll be fleshed out. And the breath, the Ruach of the Holy Spirit will breathe upon them, and a great and a mighty army will be there. God can do this. He can bring life from the dead, even as Yeshua brought Lazarus back from the dead. Have a blessed day, and we'll see you tomorrow. Shalom. Adonai The Aaronic Blessing from Numbers chapter 6, 24 to 26. Adonai bless you and keep you. Adonai make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Adonai lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.